Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. We are going to be in Revelation chapter 21. It's where we're going to be. Verses 1 through 4. Let me, let me say this to you. 20 years ago, I was a sophomore at Arkansas State University, and I sat where you are sitting right now. It was my first summer project. <clears throat> and I did not expect the Lord to do this, but as I was watching you guys pray for South Africa and interact with one another and worship, just what came over me uh, it was a, a, a sense of overwhelming gratefulness that the Lord would save me when I was in college at the age of 20. And I'm grateful uh, to be back with you, I, I, be with you. And, and, I, and I find it a real honor to speak to students. Uh, but I had no Bible knowledge growing up. I didn't, I mean, I was introduced basically to the Bible on the summer project. So I just want to see who I'm talking to here. Is anybody, if you come to Christ in the last year, would you just slip up your hand? All right, all right. Okay, all right. Hey, praise the Lord. All right. Awesome. <laughs> If, um, if, you, <laughs> if you've come to Christ in the last three years, would you raise your hand? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, s- some of the people that came to Christ like a year ago, they're like, that counts for me too, right? You know, so they slipped their hand back up. Okay. All right, I just wanted to see who I was talking to. Uh, if you've grown up in the church and for as long as you can remember, you've been a believer in Jesus Christ, would you slip your hand up? I'm just curious. All right. All right. Okay. So we got a mixed, mixed crowd here. I'm pretty sure some of y'all just raised your hand for every single one of those. I don't, I don't understand how that goes, but Lord knows, Lord knows. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. Um, let, me, let me set this up. This is uh, John, the apostle John is at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, last book written in the New Testament. And John comes under a vision and he sees multiple things uh, that the Holy Spirit shows him in this vision. And one of the great things that he sees is this incredible vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And I want to tell you what's at stake for me tonight before we read this text. I truly believe with all of my heart that without this vision of the new heaven and the new earth, We will live without the hope Christ offers, without the purpose he supplies, and without the glory he promises. The new heaven and the new earth touches every facet of what we long for in our hearts. It touches the area of significance and our identity and wanting to matter, to be seen, to be wanted. It touches the arena of satisfaction, of enjoyment, of what, of what we can enjoy. And it touches the arena of stability, things not being taken away from us, us not being put in danger. It touches all of those areas. And so this is a good thing for us to think about and reflect on for our Christian life this evening. So if you have the ability, I'm going to ask you, I know you just sat down, would you stand with me in honor to read God's word? We do this 
uh, imitating Nehemiah chapter 8 when the people of God stood to honor the word of the Lord. Revelations chapter 21, we're going to go verses 1 through 5a. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first time, or for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever by his grace and mercy this evening. May it be preached for you. Please be seated. Kind of doing church here now. Join me as we pray. Let's, Let's pray one more time. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for these brief moments that we get to have together. Would you take your word and set us apart by truth? For your word is truth. Would you put a word in the heart of my dear friends this evening in such a way that when times of trial and temptation come, when times of despair and discouragement come, when times where they're tempted to be hopeless come, I pray that they would cling and cling to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would minister and comfort those in this room that are truly in despair right now. I pray for those that are in this room that need to be convicted and redirected as you did with me in the back of this room before this time even started. Father, please give us courage to respond to you as you lead. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us this evening. And he would speak to the corner places of our heart. That the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would shine in our hearts this evening in such a way that we would see Christ. Desire to worship Christ. And Holy Father, may we believe your promises. Take hold of them. And may you seal those promises to our hearts as we walk this walk of faith. We ask that you would do this according to your glorious might. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, come and follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. They continue to walk on. And Jesus will ultimately be taking them to a place. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is where Jesus, his vision of his plan is going to culminate. And in Revelation 21, we could, we could make this a whole series if we really wanted to, because you have several themes that intersect in Revelation chapter 21, and they begin to elevate and, and climax in this chapter so that the people of God would have a hope. I've got something flying around me up here, so hopefully it didn't whatever it is, but 
but we 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 uh i'm gonna get back get my attention back here now uh but with with uh with it culminating these promises culminating uh we we want to take hold of those and we want to put our hope on those very very things now this evening i'm going to change up our outline a little bit so we can just kind of leave the word up here but here's what i what i want to do is i i want to start us by saying that the scriptures teach us that this picture that Jesus paints for us uh, is is such a glorious picture uh, from the from the writer John, and and I hope what it'll do is it'll encourage you even in those moments of deep despair as what, what was prayed uh, years ago. I was uh, at a church and it was before an elder meeting, and I was walking through the church just praying, preparing my heart, and I came walking down the little aisle there in the church. And in the back of the church, um, there was all the lights were off except for over the baptistry, there was a light on over the cross. And I saw a man sitting in the back of the back pew and I walked over to him and I realized it was my dear friend, Jerry, who had just lost his wife. They had been together for over 50 years. Now, when you've been together that long, you know each other really well. You know what each other's got, you can finish each other's sentences. You know what each other likes preferences, what each other hates. You know what each other smells like. I mean, you know everything. You have all these memories that are compounded. And I was watching Jerry and he was just in tears, looking up at the cross, holding on for dear life for his faith uh, because he lost his wife unexpectedly. And I walked up to Jerry and prayed with him. And, I, and he spoke to me and this is what he said. He said, Brett, I feel like something in me is broken. And that is true in life, Christian. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sins in Genesis chapter 3, they set off this, what some people call an awful estate. Uh, they set off a series of consequences for sin. And when they set off that series of consequences, Adam and Eve can no longer stop the consequences. So we know the curse that's on Adam's life or on men. We know the curse that's on women. Uh, we, we know the curse that is on uh, creation. In fact, in Romans chapter 8 talks about creation is groaning for the day that it will be brought relief from the curse. There was a curse that landed and it, and it began to affect interpersonal relationships. We see this in Genesis 4 when Cain and Abel go uh, out into a field and Cain takes Abel's life out of jealousy. I say this to you because there is a lot that happens when the fall takes root, just as the Lord said. But as much as we can look at the consequences of the fall, we can look at this vision for great hope. Every time no matter if it's losing a spouse, a business deal that has gone wrong, a sports injury, and you've given your life to this sport your whole life, and all of a sudden you can no longer play it ever again competitively. Whether it's a relationship that you thought was going to work out and move towards marriage, whether it's injustice, the things that would make you cry out from your very gut how long, oh Lord, how long will you allow this to continue? 
That kind of cry, brothers and sisters, is the very thing that Jesus marched to the cross for. Why he went and rose on the third day, he ascended into heaven, and he will, he will return the second time to judge the wicked, to save those that are on the earth, and then to establish a new heaven and a new earth. That longing that we all feel in those moments, how long, O oh Lord, I want you to know Jesus feels it even more. That, that hatred you feel when you see someone abused or oppressed or taken advantage of, Jesus wants to overturn that more. That relationship that fell apart and you don't know how to get it back together, Jesus wants that more than even you do. That longing and fear, am I truly wanted? I hate myself. You know, it's interesting. I've known a lot of people who can fake it, who can smile, who can say the right answers, who can pitch themselves the right way, but deep down inside, they're really hoping people don't discover them for who they really are. And Jesus says, I want to even overturn that. This picture, this longing, how long, O Lord, the Lord overturns and he gives us this great vision. And I want you to be clear on the vision. The first thing is this, there is no more evil, no more evil. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And watch this, the sea was no more. This is not God saying there's not going to be a beach project in heaven, okay? Right? That was a joke, okay? Some of you got it, but it's okay. It landed flat. It's all good. The sea is no more. What does that mean? What's the motif there? If you look, I'll give you a few point of references. Psalm 74, verses 12 through 14, it says, Yet God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. It's giving the motif that sea is chaos and it's uh, evil running rampant. You can see this again in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. What's so amazing, a story that you probably read this summer or maybe have heard some point in your life, when Jesus is asleep on the boat and he calms the sea, do you remember that moment? That moment is an eschatological, that's a, that's a big word that means it's an end times reality that the king of kings has broken in and is taking back what is his. He's overturning evil. So when Jesus says and rebukes the storm in Matthew chapter 8, he's actually rebuking the chaos that was brought about by evil. Yes, he is the Lord of all creation. And yes, that also means over Satan and over demons. So in this beautific vision, there is no more evil. 
Jesus is eradicating it. If you've been crying out for justice, justice will be had. Evil will be removed. If the vision stopped there, we would say praise be to God, but it doesn't. There's no more corruption is the second piece there. If you look at how he talks about the city here, look with me back at our passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And watch this. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And what I want you to see here is, is a few things that marks the city. The first thing that marks the city up is this, that the city is a holy city. Notice that. There's no more corruption. God has made it a righteous city and holiness. He has, he has made every person and everything in that city set apart perfectly for himself. That's including you, Christian. If you don't believe that, go read Ephesians chapter one, where the apostle Paul writes that he wants to make you blameless and set apart. But notice also in this city that the city is not uh, primarily for streets and buildings, but it's for people. So this city is marked by community. It's marked by holiness. The corruption of wickedness has been removed from the city. The corruption of the lineage of Cain and the lineage of the devil. I don't care about my brother or I don't care about my sister. I, I come to consume them. That has been removed. Now all of the people in this city belong there because of what Christ has done. Ephesians 2, says it like this. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. That's the mark of the city. Corruption is being removed, holiness restored, community, because you are a son, not of Cain, but of Christ. You are a daughter, not of Cain, but of Christ. And God's city is marked by sovereign grace. If you go back and you read Genesis chapter 11, the Bible teaches us that the people of God in their ingenuity, because God designed them in his image, in their own ingenuity, they said, we're going to build all the way up to the heavens and God came down upon them and struck their language and their language was all different and they spread out all over the earth. You can read that in Genesis chapter 11, but what happens at Pentecost, God comes back down and gives them a heavenly language by the power of the Holy Spirit. The community is built together. It's God coming down to give his grace. Bring a people together to make them holy. You see, there is no more, no more corruption, no more evil, and there is no more death. Look at what Re Revelation 21.4 says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In my house, we, uh, we love, um, well, I, I had to get trained in this guy, so just bear with me. My house loves musical theater. So my, my girls love it. Uh, my wife did it professionally for a season. 
um, and uh, loves it. And she introduced me uh, to a few different plays to kind of get me liking it. One of those plays was In the Heights. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's a, it's a good one. Uh, and the other one uh, was Hamilton. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, and one of the things that's interesting about Hamilton, the genius in some of it, is the way that they choreograph according to the storyline. Hopefully y'all like Hamilton, and uh, I don't know if you really do, but we'll see. Anyways, but if you watch the bullet in Hamilton, it follows um, Hamilton around the whole show and barely misses him. And they, the way they choreograph this is incredible until as the, as the show goes on, the bullet gets closer and closer to Hamilton. It's a really amazing thing how they do this. But I, I say that to you because the picture is this, that time and death stalk all who live in this present world. You're being stalked by time and by death. And yet, as the people of God, we take hope in Psalms 116 verse 9 when it says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's a promise for you, Christian. That's why we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? You see, in this place, in God's vision, there is no more evil. There is no more corruption. There is no more death an incredible thing. That means your hope is going to be untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. Your hope, according to 1 Peter, is indestructible. It cannot be taken away from you. It cannot be ruined even by you because your hope is in the foundation of Jesus Christ and his glorious promises. And so even when you fell, Christ comes and he says, return to me for my mercy is new every morning. There's one more thing that there's no more of. No more evil, no more corruption, no more death and no more tears Look at what it says in verse four again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That means there are things in life that the Lord in his kind providence will allow to happen to you. And you will come to those gates with those tears still on your cheek. And yet... God will not let those tears stay there. He will wipe those tears away and he will overturn what caused those tears. So I say to some people, it's when it's cancer, we prayed for, for our dear Aunt Melinda to be healed and she was not healed on this side of eternity. But don't get it twisted. That prayer will be answered her body will be made new. And when she gets her resurrected body at the second coming, guess what she's not going to have? Cancer. Guess what she's not going to even have the ability to have? Cancer. 
and she will sing praises with all the saints that God was faithful to her the same way he was faithful to Abraham. And while she saw that promise coming from afar, God allowed that promise to come to pass. No more, friends. In this picture, there is no more tears. No more evil. No more corruption. No more death. And no more tears. And there's one more thing, and then I'm going to be done. Look with me what it says in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That might be a, yeah, we get that, Brett, kind of statement. But I want you to know that God has been working his redemptive plan, and that is an impossible feat that could only be done and made possible by God himself. Think about it with me. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, they get kicked out of the garden. The seraphim are put in front of the garden door, if you like, and they're given a sword. Anybody that comes in will not get a chance to come to the tree of life. If you go into the temple in the Old Testament, and that temple, or it's called tabernacle, it means God met with the people in a tent, and then that tent uh, turned during David and Solomon's time into a temple, and Jesus says in, in John chapter 2 that if you tear this temple down, he becomes the temple. If you tear the temple down, it will be raised in three days. But if you take this temple and in the temple, there's a holy place where all the people could go. But then there was a holy of a holies that only the high priest of Israel could go one time of year. And it was called the Day of Atonement. And right before he would go through this thick curtain, he would look up and he would see those seraphim embroidered on this curtain with the sword in their hand, knowing that when I go back behind this curtain, I'm going to experience the Shekinah glory of God. And when I go to experience that Shekinah glory of God, God could strike me dead if I don't do what he asked me to do in the exact order, the way that he asked me to do it, because I'm making atonement for all of the people of Israel. So they would wear bells on them as a high priest. And if they did it wrong, they would be struck down. The people would know because they couldn't hear the bells moving around anymore, and they would drag them out. That's real. Holiness was necessary in the presence of a holy God. Now, Jesus lives a perfect life. He dies a sinner's death. And when he gives up his life on the cross, he says, it is is finished. And when he says it is finished, Matthew records that that veil from the holy place to the holies of holies is ripped from top to bottom, giving access to everybody that would put their faith in Jesus Christ. So when this says that God dwells with his people, what that means is he tabernacles with his people. It costs God his only son to make that happen. And there was only one person's blood that could actually make that happen. God made a sacrifice for you, a necessary sacrifice because you could not save yourself, a sufficient sacrifice because you could not stay saved without God making that possible.
and neither could I. And here's the most amazing thing, though. It doesn't stop there. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his Holy Spirit as an inheritance. And do you know what God does now? Instead of just Jesus being the temple, he makes you the temple. Crazy. That's what it means to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. means you are a temple of the Holy God. Holy Spirit living in you. And one day at that second return, there will be no more temple. There'll be the great city that was promised. Jerusalem, where all of God's people is holy and right, where there will be no more corruption anymore, no more death anymore, no more evil anymore, no more tears and sadness and sorrow and depression and doubt, no more. And God will be with his people, teaching them how to worship rightly. And we will worship for all eternity. God truly in this vision has overturned what is evil and made it good. There's a beautiful article written by a man named David Hadou. He was writing, um, he writ, written this article in the Atlantic Monthly. He, writ, he wrote it up on a great jazz artist named Wynton Marcellus. Hadou said that he was in Manhattan in late August. It was hot and the city seemed empty. He was bored, so he went to look for something to do. And he found himself in this old jazz club, the Village Vanguard. Different known artists were in the place. It wasn't fully packed. People were drinking and talking and sort of half listening. Suddenly, he found himself captivated by the back of the trumpet player, he thought, that looks like an older and heavier Wynton Marcellus. He was off in the shadows, turned slightly away from the other musicians. Hadou wondered, that, that sure does look like Wynton. And on the fourth number, it was the trumpet player stepped into the light, and it was indeed Wynton Marcellus. He was doing a solo number, and he had chosen an old ballad from the 1930s, because I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. And he played it simply, mournfully, and beautifully than Hadou had ever heard, giving each note a murmuring beauty and almost pronouncing the words with his instrument. The room became hushed in wonder at this tremendous artist becoming one with his song and instrument. As he finally came to the end where the title is repeated, he played each word as a declarative statement. I don't stand a ghost of a chance. At the most climactic moment, someone's cell phone went off, playing a little silly ditty, techno ditty. Everyone started laughing, then they started drinking, then they started talking. Marcellus was left there frozen, silent at the microphone. Hadou scratched on the pad in front of him, magic broken. You see, God has created us in his image to have an intimate relationship with him for all eternity and to have that relationship with one another. And we offer back to him oftentimes <clears throat> silly little ringtone lives. But Jesus said, <clears throat> follow me, follow me. Marcellus stood there for a moment, then began to play again. 
He started playing that little ringtone, did he, exactly as he heard it. He repeated it. He repeated it again. Then the crowd began to come back to him. Then he took it and began to rift and do what only he could do in jazz. He took it and moved into the chords, different octaves, different exchanges. He just moved all through the scale, making the techno ditty ring exquisitely beautiful. And everyone was back now with him, waiting with bated breath. And he suddenly resolved right where he had stopped, because I don't have a ghost of a chance with you. The place exploded with praise and honor. And this is what our great Christ stands ready to do for us in our little lives when he says, come and follow me. Stop making the little ditty techno sound with your life. Make a sound that is part of that great orchestra of heaven. He takes our silly cell phone ditties, our self-produced lives, but he doesn't throw them out the window. He takes that unique melody that is truly you, Christian, and he suddenly begins to make it something beautiful beyond what you could ever do yourself. And at last, in those last days when the heaven and earth have passed away and he makes a new heaven and earth, he will resolve your note back with his note and that great hymn of praise and to his glory and his honor, our hearts will one day shine in its fullness like the sun as the cosmos stand in ovation at the Christ who deserves all glory and all praise and all honor because he has made a place now where there is no evil, where there is no corruption, where there is no death and where there is no tears and the people of God will dwell with God forever. Don't forget it. It's your hope. Hold on to it. Nothing else in life can hold you like that vision. I pray that he'll embed it in your heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. My God and my Father, our God and our Father, we thank you for these brief moments that you gave us together. And we ask that you would take this word, encourage our hearts where we need to be encouraged, challenge us where we need to be challenged. I pray these truths would not just go in one ear and out the other, but Father, you would give my friends confidence in your word that they would treasure in their heart like Mary did when she got the promises about the Messiah, her son. We love you, Lord. We ask this in faith now. Amen. Amen.